Good morning. Uh, we're going to be uh, beginning a new sermon series uh, today that's going to go through the month, and it's, and it's going to be called We Are Creatures. And uh, we are going to look at, because we're created by God, we are creatures. We are just something that He created and breathed life into. And we're going to kind of look at the implications of what it means for us to be creatures. And this morning in particular, we're going to look at what does it mean to be created in the image of God. And so we're going to read a section out of Genesis chapter 1. You can just hear these words and reflect on them with me. It says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Amen. So we are creatures created by God. And there's implications to this and, and, and maybe some surprising insights that we don't reflect on very much. Um, I don't know when the last time it was that you read the first few chapters of Genesis, but uh, we're going to point out some things that we sort of infer or read into or some assumptions that we make that will maybe correct some of our understanding. First of all, I just want to talk about sort of the traditional Christian narrative because this morning we're going to shift it just a little bit. We're going to put a little more nuance and depth to it. So what is the traditional Christian narrative? Well, think, think about Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3. It's, it's created good. God separated the light from the darkness. He created the creepy, crawly things and the animals, and it was good. And he created man in his image, and it was good. Right? It's paradise. So the Christian narrative is we had paradise, then we messed it up, and now we're trying to get back to paradise. Right? Would you say that's probably accurate? Summation of the Christian faith? Right? So this is how we conceive of our faith. It's like things messed up, now we want to get back to it, and so we do. We pursue it. We think about it. We, we see what Christ teaches regarding this. And what it sort of does, though, is it creates this dynamic in the faith where the way you live and what you do is sort of separated from what God is doing to a degree. When you view the Christian narrative as simply, we had paradise, we lost it, now we've got to get it back, then your sole role in the faith is to give glory to God and wait. Or saved, be saved to behave. That is, God's doing things and so we praise God and so we stand back and we watch Him and say, yea, God, we give all glory to God and we should give all glory to God, but then we're waiting. We're waiting for paradise to return. We're, we're saved and we just got to behave and we got to keep the faith so that we can experience paradise and new life and get back to the thing that we lost. But this is a very flat 
diminished understanding of the Christian narrative. It's so much more than this. And when we think about the creation story, when we think about the Garden of Eden, we tend to think about perfection. But when we say perfection as Western-minded people, we, we sort of think of it in terms of like Plato thought of perfection. Like there's this ideal, and we had the ideal, and we lost it, and we're, we're trying to get the ideal back. But to the Hebrew authors and to the Hebrew readers, there was not the same thing. There was no such thing as perfection the way we think about it. For them, perfection meant completion. A thing was perfected when it was complete. And so when we go back and look at Genesis, we're going to ask some questions like, was it perfect the way we think it is, or was it moving towards something the way the Hebrews think it is? You see, when we go back and read it, you'll see that God is actually setting up something in Genesis to be completed, yet to be fulfilled. He's sort of setting the trajectory towards perfection. So hang with me for a second as we unpack this, because this is probably new for a lot of people. So let's go back to Genesis 1. Um, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so what does this mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What you don't get in Genesis 1 through 3 is sort of this psychoanalysis of the emotional state of how we're supposed to be. It's not like a a list of moral attitudes and behaviors that we're supposed to hold. It's not an ethics that's presented. Like you don't get to bear to bear the image of God means that you're patient, kind, loving. You don't you don't get the fruit of the spirit list here. That's not what you get. That comes later. So what does it mean? In Genesis, when it says that you are created to bear the image of God, you carry the image of God, what does that mean? What does that actually look like? Well, Genesis describes it, and it's sort of surprising in some ways, because because God created everything, right? He's, He's in charge of everything. He has dominion over everything, all power, authority over everything, and now you're created in His image, and what does He say to you? That means that you have dominion now. That means you rule. You are now the ruler of creation. He says to to be a bearer of his image means that you're going to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to fill the earth and subdue it. You're going to be creative. You're going to be procreative. Like God, you're going to create life and sustain life. You're going to take care of things. This is in the Garden of Eden. And God gives them everything for food. It is good. He says it's good. It's not perfect the way we think it. It's good. It's so good. And here's where things get a little bit more interesting. What does it mean to bear the image of God? So we we rule and we're procreative. We we sort of do the things God does, right? And what does this look like in Eden? Eden. In paradise, what we tend to think of as like this sort of ideal perfection. Well, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
When I hear the words garden, work, and keep, I don't think of paradise. (laughs) I think of yard work. Now, wait a minute. Why does Adam and Eve have to, why do they have to work the garden and keep it if it's perfect? Like, what are they doing? Well, they're doing what God does. He takes care of his creation. They are bearing the image and doing the work. Here's where it gets even more interesting. Did they live forever in the Garden of Eden before the fall? You know, since there's two trees, and, and one of the trees is the tree of life, and the other tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in fact, Genesis doesn't say you live forever unless you ate from the tree of life. This is why when they sin against God, it says, Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden. He, he removed him from the option, the ability to live forever. That's weird. It's not paradise, how we typically conceive of it. It's even more interesting. When they eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and they they banish them from the garden and the curse comes, this is that the pain of childbirth will be multiplied. Now, for the pain of childbirth to be multiplied would sound to me like maybe there was pain to begin with. The curse doesn't say there was no pain. It just says it multiplied it as part of the curse. And so what you, what you begin to get a, a sense of when you go back and, and reread these chapters is that, that it's not perfection like we tend to impose on it. It's an invitation to bear the image of God. And to bear the image of God means that we are called to take care of creation. We are to bring life. We are to cultivate. We are to protect. We are to move forward in the same creative way that God did because we bear his image. We represent and reflect God's action in the world. That's what it means to bear his image. It's to do things that God does. To take care of, to create, to make life, not death. And this is actually a really high view of humanity. It it means that you are incredibly valuable. You're not just some trash that broke and now we have to get rid of it and, and reset the clock and start something new. No, like you are the pinnacle of creation. In fact, humanity, being human, is so fundamentally important to the Christian narrative. It's why his son Jesus came as a man. If humanity, if being a man was the problem, then why would God do this if it was not to show us what it means to properly be human, to have humanity, and bear the image of God. Psalm 8 picks up on this high-level view of humans. This is, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. The psalm is talking about mankind. You're just below the heavenly beings. Everything is at your feet. You are given everything that God has and given rule and authority over it as image bearers. And when you understand this, the the narrative, the, the traditional Christian narrative shifts just a little bit. It's not about not giving glory to God. We give glory to God. But we understand the glory that God gave us, too. And so the story shifts. It's, it's your good, because all of creation is good. We bear the image of God, but we dishonor the image of God. We rule poorly. And then God has to come in Christ to restore our true humanity. And we sort of have an innate sense of this, right? Like, like right after the fall, it didn't take long. Like, Adam was ruling poorly when he took from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was ruling poorly when he brought it, you know, when he, or when Eve took it and brought it to Adam and didn't stop it. He when they got outside of the garden, what happened immediately? Cain killed his brother Abel because, because we begin not ruling in the image of God. We begin ruling out of fear and jealousy and anger. And, and what was meant to be about bringing life and protecting creation actually turned into creating death and, and creating boundaries and being skeptical and uncertain and fearful. Humans are terrible rulers. We destroy things that we build. We take life. We don't give it. We consume. But being human is pivotal because this is why Christ came as a man. He came to begin to show us a different way. Like in the Old Testament, this is why when we get out of the creation narrative and we begin to propel forward under Abraham, he, he makes the covenant with us and we get those Ten Commandments because he's, he's trying to put some, some gutters, gutter guards on us to keep us from falling off the edge so that we know what it means to be good humans, to bear the image of God properly. But we fail even with those explicit instructions. And so he sends Jesus, and Jesus, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same thing. Jesus is trying to not only teach us that we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, we're supposed to love our enemies, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Our eyes shouldn't cause us to sin, etc., etc., etc. He says all these things because he's trying to teach us what it means to be human, but then he demonstrates it in the way that he lives. Not a skeptical or hoarding or, or fearful or taking life, he, he gives life and gives up life as an image bearer of the Creator God. The same image you bear. And we see that Christ bears this image. Paul picks up on this and teaches this in Second Corinthians. He says in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That is, Christ is the image of God, and it's language that's used exactly from Genesis. 
You are the image of God. Christ is the image of God. You are to be like Christ. It's like Paul says in Romans that you are co-heirs with Christ. That is, you get to inherit everything that has been given to Christ, which is all of creation, which is at his feet, his footstool. Like Psalm 8, everything is yours. And so we're called in Colossians to put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We're to get rid of the old self and put on the new self. Put on the clothes that reflect the image of God to to carry that image forward. That's why in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus is talking to Jesus He's told that he has to be born again. He has to be baptized and, and be, you know, experience the Holy Spirit so that he can be something new. He can reclaim the Imago Dei, the image of God. And in those waters of baptism, when we're clothed new again, when we reclaim that image, we are joined in Christ, in life, and in death to reign, to rule as God intended. Paul picks up on this. We miss it, usually. So what you begin to understand when you you see this and you see this pattern is you begin to understand that we're not just on the sidelines saying, yay, God, we give you all glory and honor, and then stand back and wait for him to fix it. We actually are actively part of creation as image bearers. We protect creation. We protect life. We create things that are new. And if you really begin to understand this and wrap your mind around this, then some of the things that we do that seem mundane or trivial have tremendous spiritual impact and implication. Because what it means is that if you're changing your child's diaper, you're standing on holy ground as you take care of creation. If you're a teacher, you're bearing the image of God as you cultivate and raise up a new people. Whatever your job may be, PT, OT. You're bearing the image of God and restoring broken creation. You're part of it. This is a really high view of humanity. It means that you're valued above everything but the heavenly beings. And you see this all come home again. You see this repeat in Revelation 21 and 22. 
Again, when we think about the end, we think about the curtain being revealed and paradise restored. And, and what you get in Revelation 21 and 22 is an interesting description. You, you think it's a description of heaven, but it's actually a description of the new earth. Earth restored. And, and Christ is at the center. He is the light. And, and it says in this new creation, this restored creation, is the tree of life. The same tree that we lost access to that gives us eternity. And if you read it, it sounds just like Eden, which means we may have some yard work to do <laughs> because we'll tend to the new creation, bearing faithfully the image of God. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory, he says that it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. <laughs> that is, the mundane things that we do, these people that you're sitting next to, like, when you understand and see that they bear the image of God, because they carry and reflect that image, it's tempting to worship them because of what's revealed through them that points us back to Christ. And the things that we do may not be perfect, but it is good. In Jesus' name, amen.